0: Welcome to A Voice in the Hills. I'm James Warner, co-founder of Silicon Hills Wealth Management here in Austin, Texas. Our special guest on today's podcast is Jake Northrup. Jake's going to help us challenge some of the conventional wisdom and mindset of our industry. And at the heart of today's conversation is the notion that served as the default financial path for generations. Pursue your career uninterrupted, sacrifice, save, move up the ladder. And after three decades or so, transition out of that mindset almost entirely to pursue those experiences that you've essentially been putting off. Jake asked one simple question. Why wait? Can we pursue our career interest by also prioritizing experiences? Can we incorporate scheduled breaks or sabbaticals into our plans so we can maximize our life and not just our net worth? Does hitting the pause button on a thoughtful and planned basis better prepare us for our eventual retirement? Does it keep us recharged? Does it provide the time and space to experience life and also to think through what's next? It's a subject Jake knows well. He's an Investopedia Top 100 advisor, an Investment News 40 Under 40 winner, and he's traveled the world extensively and just getting started. So let's talk experiential wealth and sabbatical planning with the founder of Experience Your Wealth, Jake Northrop.
1: James Warner is the founding partner of Silicon Hills Wealth Management and the host of A Voice from the Hills podcast. All opinions expressed by James, his co-host, and his guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Silicon Hills Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Silicon Hills Wealth Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.
0: So, Jake, thank you so much for joining us, James. Happy to be on. Hey, I wanted to start today's discussion with a personal finance decision that you and your wife Kay wrestled with, and it kind of became a subject of an insider article. Uh, you chose a once-in-a-lifetime trip over a home purchase. Let walk us through that a little bit. Talk talk through how that uh, how that decision transpired.
1: Yeah, great research. Um, so, you know, it was a, a big decision for us. And to give some context, you know, what we did in uh, 2021 is we ended up uh, traveling to Antarctica. Uh, and if anyone knows, it's pretty uh, challenging to get there, not uh, cheap whatsoever, too. And, you know, for us, uh, we were kind of faced with the decision, you know, we can drop uh, or spend about twenty to $25,000 on this trip, or we can save that up for a down payment, right? And, you know, by the, the stage of life that we did it, I was 30, you know, my wife was in her late 20s, we didn't have kids yet. Um, you know, ultimately for us, right, our own personal values felt like, you know, we want to experience as much as we can when we're young, you know, we're not going to do it in a financially irresponsible way whatsoever. But we felt like, you know, postponing our timeline to buy a home uh, in order to take this trip was something that we're going to remember 15, 20 years from now, right? In other words, you know, buying a home in 2022 versus 2024 um, isn't going to be something that we look back on and say, damn, I wish we did that, right? But, you know, with our some of our different life transitions upcoming, like hopefully starting a family, you know, we wanted to feel like we're doing this once in a lifetime trip uh, while we were young, healthy and able to.
0: And, and so had you had you had a, a fund set aside to to build up a down payment for a home and then the opportunity to go to Antarctica came up and and that was when that decision came in or how did it how did it play? Was that always kind of in your bucket list as as a as a potential item that you were, that you were saving for too, or how, how did that interplay happen?
1: Yeah, great question. So I'd say uh, at a high level, we had a savings account that we earmarked separate from, and this is something we talked to our clients about too. So we had our, our checking account, we had our emergency fund, and we just had a separate account, right? And it was either travel or home, and we didn't have to put a finger on what that is yet. But you know, we were allocating funds separately, so we could think of that as earmarked for something, right? And you know, as we were uh, progressing some of our conversations, you know, I, I credit my wife; she did all the research for it. She basically said, "Here's everything. Um, are you?" can we do this, right? And I said, wow, it's a big price tag, um, but it's also a pretty damn cool trip. And, uh, you know, we had those conversations and together as a household, you know, we felt like, you know, going on that trip, having that experience, having that once in a lifetime, you know, story that we can also tell our friends and family and just ourselves too, um, was more aligned with our values compared to buying a home in that year, right? So, you know, we it's kind of similar to other financial planning is if you prioritize this over here, you know what, on the other end, is going to be given up, right? And is that something that you're comfortable with?
0: And, and how do the people around you in your in your sphere of influence? How do they react to that decision? Or, or yeah, did you I seek think, any you know, input? Were... Did you seek any input from them, or or just kind of was it just you and K kind of figuring this out?
1: Honestly, it was just me and Kay figuring it out, to be honest. I'm sure there was uh, maybe some people that said, you know, what are you doing? Um, you know, why wouldn't you put money into a home and build equity in the long term? Um, I also think there's other people that just know us as uh, human beings and say, wow, that's awesome. Like, you guys are doing it. You had a goal and said, I- I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and go on this trip, right? And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to share our story with uh, Business Insider was, um, you know, it's kind of an untraditional choice, right? I think a lot of it we're ingrained to go buy a home as soon as you can start building up the equity, um, do all of that you get a return and everything there. And that's great, right? Um, but also from our perspective, it was, you know, this uh, trip might not maximize, you know, our net worth, but it will maximize our life right? And, and we can always build our home equity in the future. But having this once in a lifetime thing, when our businesses were at a stage where we could do it together, um, we didn't have young kids yet. So we we're at that stage of life. So, you know, I think afterwards, a lot of people, you know, thought, wow, this is really cool. But at the end of the day, we didn't do it for other people like we did for ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, but there's definitely that perception of, oh, you're going against the grain and doing something different. And, you know, it's just natural human reaction right it's like you want to stay in the herd and feel like you're doing what everyone else does so uh, I won't lie to say at, at times we certainly had our doubts but I'm glad we did it
0: well sure I bet even on the trip you were probably oh man is this the right thing or not but was there a was there a moment during the trip where you realized wow this was the right thing we we nailed it this was the right this was the right call
1: yeah, when we first stepped on Antarctica, um, it was like you're just in a, a different world, right? In terms of uh, the peace, the, the the landscape, the animals, nature, um, you know, even just the journey to get there, um, it wasn't luxurious whatsoever, right? We were going through Drake's Passage, which is um, you know, some of the most dangerous seas in the world, and we hit really, really strong seas. We had 30-foot waves batten our boat the whole time. So, you know, it felt like a journey to get there, but representing like taking that step on, you know, Antarctica, which uh, is really hard to do. It's like, what did that represent? Right. It represented years of savings it represented uh, compassion for each other. It represented determination to get there. So there's that like sense of fulfillment. of, Oh crap, we actually did this. Right. Um, I think it was when we got there and looking back, you know, those are the stories that we really talk about most as a, a married couple.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So that, and that whole decision-making tree, I mean, that's a paradigm shift, right? Where experiences are valued as much or more than stuff, right? So is it fair to say that the more a person values experiences, the more these non-traditional planning, you know, aspects appeal to them, the more they need that? I mean, how do you quantify that?
1: Yeah, great question. So, you know, I think I do think from a scientific standpoint too, right, you know, most people value experiences over things, um, but the challenge of that is a lot of things are ingrained in our consumerism culture, right? Go buy this, have the nicer car, uh, buy the bigger home, you know, you get ads everywhere, right? Um, But I think there is a, a real shift happening right now, and I don't think it's just driven by millennials. I think it goes across generations of really talking about, you know, how can we maximize experiences and how can we use our money for those experiences, whether that's let's travel for us, it could be, you know, hobbies for someone else. It could be, you know, starting a business or doing something different too. Um, But it's definitely different than that, you know, traditional work nine to five, you know, uh, retire at 65 and then go start living your life, right? You know, for my wife and I, and, you know, how we like to structure our business and some of the clients we work with, you know, ideally you try to experience your life during the way, right? As opposed to waiting till the very end.
0: And so let's talk about sabbaticals. We're gonna we're gonna link to your article in the uh, in the show notes here. But I really really enjoyed the article that uh, I guess it was in my continuing education that I was running through some of uh, Michael Kitsis' stuff and saw your uh, uh, saw your article on it. So sabbaticals they vary in length and they vary in focus and they also vary in in financial impact and cost. Uh, let let's break those down. Let's talk about the What what length of time do you typically see your uh, clients planning for sabbaticals? What are the different areas of focus? I mean, is it always travel? Is it sometimes, you know, there's a life event and I just want to be more present at home than I am at work? Uh, And how do all those kind of break down and uh, factor into the financial aspects of it?
1: Yeah, really good question, because there's, you know, I'm actually thinking in particular, we have three clients that have done sabbaticals in the last 12 months, and all three of those are very different in terms of why they did it, um, how long they did it for, and the financial implications of those, right? Right. Um, but generally speaking, you know, I like to define it as the just an extended period of time off away from work. It could be probably a minimum of a month and it could be even more than that. Right. Um, but I think the reasons why people do it are very different. Um, so one of our clients was, you know, we it was the what the article was about, um, you know, core focus for them was to take, you know, a trip around the world and just go hit all the different countries they wanted to go for 12 months, um, experience, like all these things kind of together, right? Like they felt like we've been working a really long time. Um, We love to travel. And, you know, if time was shortened for us, right, you know, what would we want to prioritize? What would we do? And they talked about doing the sabbatical, right? So for them, you know, 12 months off traveling that had a much, much different, you know, financial implication of it. They were looking at you know spending over a hundred thousand dollars so the weight of those decisions behind that are a lot heavier um, compared to some of our uh, two other clients that you know they took a sabbatical and they were you know young families um, and it was just like I need a break. Right, you know, like I have young kids at home. I've been working and doing all of this, and you know, I just want to take some me time and, and think about what's that next step in my career. And you know, that didn't carry as much of a weight because they still had a partner that was still working. Um, they weren't saving as much, so it was just kind of hitting pause on it. So, you know, I think doing a sabbatical or taking that for yourself, you can do it for different reasons, and there's different ways it impacts your financial life. With some, could be on like the far left spectrum of just a month or two away from work. Which to reset, recharge, and then all the way to the other spectrum, which is, you know, maybe we take our family around the world, right? And all of those carry different financial planning decisions behind
0: Yeah. And of course, one of the challenges of that sabbatical planning is scheduling, right? I mean, you have to coordinate a sabbatical with your employer, if, assuming you're expecting to go back to that employer or with your business, you know, with your spouse, your customers, et cetera. How far in advance do you find that Uh, your clients are actually planning in order to find that optimal window.
1: I'd say it's um, probably about a year in advance where you might want to start those conversations, right? And they might, you could approach it of, I know I want to take a sabbatical uh, and I'm going to start talking to my employer about it, right? And that's a very different approach there. You could also say, you know, I'm just feeling burnt out and I need a break, right? You might not plan that a year in advance. So, you know, those are some things where, you know, it it differs in terms of how you plan. Um, But I do think, and it's something I wrote about in the article is, we're in a a period of time in the economy and, you know, less so in the early 2023, when I wrote the article in 2022, you know, everyone was changing jobs, Um, but a lot more people are just changing jobs, right? And I feel like that's a natural um, opportunity um, as financial planners or professionals, or even just, you know, people, everyday investors too, um, to ask the question, you know, have I ever considered taking a sabbatical? Right. You know, being really intentional with in between jobs. Are you giving enough time for you um, to do some of the different things that you want, whether that's recharge or travel um, without some of those pressures from a new employer yet? Right. Uh, I do think it's a little bit easier to do that when you're in between jobs, as opposed to being somewhere that you love um, and maybe being forced with the, the, you know, the decision. Do I leave this employer um, and do a sabbatical or, you know, are they supportive of it? And am I able to stay afterwards?
0: Yeah. And of course in your article, you talked about a situation where one spouse was at that career crossroads. I mean, they knew, they knew they weren't going to stay at the employer. It was kind of a natural break for them. They were going to leave their current role. So it was a, from a time perspective, it was the right time for them to do it. But on the other hand, their spouse was in a different place. They were really enjoying their work. uh, And they, they didn't necessarily fear losing their job, but they did fear losing their career momentum. And so I, I would imagine that happens quite a bit because it's hard to, it's hard to find a case where, you know, both you and your spouse are in the same, you know, in that same dynamic regarding your career. How do you, how do you help couples figure that out?
1: Yeah, it's an art, right? Um I think, First, it's starting with, well, what is a sabbatical doing for your family? Like, why are you interested in it? And getting to the core, what's most important to them there, right? Um, What does that sabbatical represent? So. You know, in in certain cases, um, you know, when you it is hard to kind of go or or have the mindset of if I take a sabbatical now, it means, you know, I've been working the the last 10 years for a promotion and maybe I'm not going to get that now. Right. Um, And that can be a really challenging thing to grasp, too. I think where, you know, financial planners in particular can be helpful for their clients is, you know, maybe taking a, a step back and saying, you know, look at this 10 or 15 years down the road, right? Looking back, you know, what are you gonna remember most, right? Um, what's most important to you as a family and a couple? And you know, that could be, I continue to um, rise up the, in the, the career and, and earn more and get more titles. And that's great if you feel like that's aligned with what's most important. But this couple in particular, um, when we cut to the core, what was most important for them, right? You take like the, the need to earn money out of the equation For them, there was clearly both of them saying, you know, taking a sabbatical and traveling around the world um, is one of the most important things to us. Right. You know, there's something that uh, we talked to some of our clients about. um, uh, George Kinder has some three questions that, um, you know, a lot of people go through in terms of trying to get to the core, why money is really important to them. And that question, too, is, you know, if you had five to 10 years left to live, And, you know, you weren't sick. So mentally, physically, you're still there, but you don't know when it would occur. You know, what would you prioritize? What would you want to do? And I think in in kind of framing it that way, um, sometimes I'll allow people to step out of that hustle, hustle, hustle culture, and then really get to the point of actually, when I take that out, um, this is what we'd want to do. This is what's really important to us, right? So I definitely think it's a reframing. But um, I think there is that art of helping to um, guide some of those conversations for a couple so they can get on the same page together.
0: And so let's assume that that you know that couple that we're talking about they found the window. It provides them the opportunity to take the sabbatical. They're 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 cool on the length and what the focus is. Now the question is can we afford it, right? What's the true cost? And you suggest starting with a longer term impact test. Walk us through what the what that looks like. So, so you've got a, you've got a client you've got a couple clients that are there. They're, they're both in lockstep. They're comfortable with the implications on their career. They're just really not sure if they actually have the financial wherewithal to do this. So walk us through what happens at that point.
1: Yeah, it's scary. Right. Um, And the reason why I think it can be scary for a lot of people, but also financial planners, too, is, you know, what a sabbatical if planned for represents properly is you're, you're not going forward as fast. You're not going backwards, though. You're just hitting pause for a little bit. Right. Uh, And that can actually be okay when you take a step back and look at, you know, what does this look like over the next 10 to 20 to 30 years? So um, in this couple situation, what they really valued and what they really like, the obstacle for them was how would taking the sabbatical impact our ability to retire early? right? Not all people will feel that. Some people will feel like, yeah, you know, we have the cash in the bank, let's go and do it. And that's great too, right? But I think from a financial planner's perspective as well, you always want to have that long-term focus in place to make sure, you know, they're not giving up everything else that they think is important. But in this scenario, um, you know, we help to help them identify, you know, there's a certain age in terms of some of our projections that, Um, They might be able to step away from work, right? That's obviously a variable. Things will change, which is a good guideline. And then the question was, how would taking one year off um, impact that, right? And going through that model and helping them just see the visuals and see it for themselves. You know, we got to the point where um, it was basically the conclusion was taking a sabbatical means that you're just adding a year at the end to say, we're going to retire one year later, right? And for them, they felt like, Absolutely. We want to do that. Right. I think a lot of people might feel, uh, especially when you're going against the grain, you're doing something different. You're not doing that traditional nine to five. Uh, There might be that fear that creeps in of, are we going to have to work till we're 75 now? Right. So I think from our perspective, there's that
0: wonder, does this one year cost me 10? Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and sure, like you lose out on compound interest and, and all of that too. But um, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, the art of financial planning is you don't want to end up with too much or too little, right? There's kind of like that balance that you have between those, um, that sweet spot where you feel financially secure, but also at the end of the day, um, feeling like we're investing in some of those experiences early on that are impactful for us.
0: And so you also talked about once those long-term uh, impacts are quantified, moving to kind of the short term and setting up a sabbatical fund. And I'm I'm probably reading into your words here, but it was almost like, why don't we set this fund up and prove to ourselves that we can save this money into this fund so that we're proving to ourselves that our sabbatical is not going to be a step back, but it's just going to be hitting the pause button is, is that, is that the primary thing? And when you talk about, you know, a year in advance or however long it is, I would assume that if you're able to save up for most of that sabbatical during that year, then the idea is, okay, we've already proved that this is just a pause button experience. Uh, How have you found that happening in in real life? And I, am I interpreting that right? Obviously I just read the article. I, I didn't live the experience with the clients, but how important is that? Yeah, you're
1: definitely interpreting that right, um, and I think that gets back to what we talked about earlier of what's the length of the sabbatical and what's the financial implications of it. So, if it's just you know one person saying I want a break for a, a one to two months and I'm just going to stay at home and hang out with my kids, and you know you still have one source of income coming in, you probably don't need to have as much saved up in a specific fund, right? But in this specific scenario, um, there was big financial repercussions coming from it, right? A hundred thousand dollars in a savings account that. You know, you want to feel like you have um, prepared to spend on the sabbatical. So in this scenario, there's a like a really powerful framing of mentally separating money. Right. Um, knowing a year in advance that, OK, you know, we're going to tighten our belts over here or we're going to intentionally say no to some of these or earn a little bit more income so that we're able to afford the sabbatical in 12 months. Right. They were motivated to save. Um, also, at the same time, too, where where that's helpful to kind of earmark that money separately and keep it in cash is you know, they're not depending on investment markets for them to be able to take a sabbatical, right? And actually in hindsight, that was great because in 2022, you know, markets were down 20%. So we also didn't want them to feel like their sabbatical um, success or failure was based upon something they couldn't control. Right. And that's what having that separate high yield savings account represented is you control how much you're putting in here. That money is just going to go up. It's not going to go down. So having that separated, you know, that gives you the peace of mind to say, you know, here's our budget. Right. And if that gets spent, that's spent.
0: And and do you find that when when people are planning on going on a, a sabbatical like that, that they're not just their risk tolerance with that particular account might change? but perhaps for a short period of time their risk tolerance regarding their entire investment portfolio might change or do they keep, you know, if, if they're more risk tolerant to begin with, I mean, do they keep the same allocations that they had uh, in all their investments and just treat this as a separate, uh, as a separate one-off? How, how have you, uh, how have you find how have you found different clients reacting to that or is that a, a is that a real important component of this?
1: I think it depends on the life stage that they're at. Um, You know, our clients that we work with, they're primarily young families. So they do have a long time horizon ahead of them in terms of when they're going to really start using some of the you know retirement funds or other long-term savings. So in this specific case, um, you know, their long-term strategy remained completely intact. In other words, we did not change how they were invested. Um, and that was a great thing because we didn't have to sell out of equities when they were down in order to, to fund the sabbatical. Um, vice versa, if someone did this potentially later in life and they were coming back and feeling like, you know, maybe our time frame for retirement is earlier now, or we might not earn as much. I think that's definitely something to factor into of you know, having this major life event, I think it triggers all these different things in your financial life to think is everything else still aligned, right? Do we need to change how everything else is invested? Um, do we need to update our estate plan? Do we need to look at how we can optimize taxes when our income is low? Um, so I think it really varies depending on their stage of life and what they're anticipating for for income coming back. But in terms of our clients, you know, most of them are in their late 30s or so. So they still have that long time horizon and it might not change you know, how they're um, investing everything else in their life.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a certain amount of prosperity that we're baking into the cake here. I mean, you, you do have to, you do have to have a period of, of prosperity and sacrifice and success in order to, you know, start taking these, uh, you know, start taking these things into account. Uh, But, but let's assume that you've got a couple and they've had that prosperity. They've had Uh, You know, they've, they've built those savings accounts. They've, they've got that point in time where, you know, they do have enough resources where this is a discussion worth having. They have come to the agreement that as a couple or individually, even if they're not a couple that they value experiences enough uh, to really think about this. And then you add the, the second phase of the kinder question and say, well, if you only had five or 10 years, what would you do? They, they come to yeses on all those things. It's still going to be a trade-off, right? So that leads us into those, what if conversations that you talked about in the, in the article. And you talk about the importance of defining your nightmare. I love that. Um when you have clients that are sitting in front of you and they're literally making that decision with you as the third party, are there certain nightmare scenarios that you just know are going to come up? I assume there are. And then have there been any that surprised you?
1: Yep. Yeah. And, and then what you mentioned too, that's something that comes from, um, you know, the book, the four hour work Week by Tim Ferriss. And, and he talks about how to face some of your fears. Right. And he says, you know, number one, define your nightmare. What's the absolute worst thing you could do, or what was the worst thing that could happen if you do what you're considering? Um, you know, number two, what could you do to repair it or get things even back close? Right. Number three, what are the outcomes benefits of it going well, or some of the more probable, and then what are you putting off? Right. And where I think this can be helpful from uh, like a client perspective, and especially to an advisor can give them the space to talk about some of their fears and talk about some of the obstacles, right? Um, because this is a scary decision to make, right? You know, going your entire life from saving, saving, saving to hitting the pause button uh, mentally, that's a big shift, right? And you want to feel comfortable with that. And I think some of the natural um, you know, things to be uh, concerned about are, you know, am I going to have a job? When we get back, um, how does my long-term financial future going to be impacted? Uh, if you have kids, what does that mean for their education or you know their routines and sports and all of that? Right, like that's huge things that you want to go through and talk about as a couple. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into it, but you know, I think that is a key part in doing any big decision, not just a sabbatical. Like if you think about starting a business, it's like you know, what are some of the fears? What's the worst things that could happen in this specific situation for that client that's traveling around the world? you know, we felt like one of them could very clearly go back, get a new job. He was already planning on it. Um, and then we went through that scenario of the other person not getting a job. And we kind of said, okay, well, what would happen at that point? Like, what would be, what would your life look like? And we ultimately got them to say, you know, we would be living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, we wouldn't be dipping into our savings, but we would also not be um, saving anything for the future. And this person felt like, you know, they could take three to six months and still find a job. So at the end of the day, again, when we take that, you know, 20 year horizon, that 10,000 foot view, you ask the question, how is this going to impact things later on? There's not that big of an impact. So I think from an advisor perspective is helping clients, um, you know, articulate what are some of their fears, um, validate those and help to, you know, guide some of those conversations together, but then also pull in that financial element. So, um, you know, they can feel comfortable or vice versa, you know, it might push something out significantly, right? Like they might need to retire five to seven years later, depending on the income or the sabbatical. And I don't think there's right or wrongs there, but at least helping clients make that decision themselves.
0: But it's also about embracing that discussion about what it's costing you to postpone action, right? I mean, Your kids only have a certain amount of time that they can have these experiences with you. Those are certainly valuable from an educational standpoint and just experiential standpoint. Uh, Even in, even in your career, I, I think you can easily make the argument that the more experiences you have and the more interesting you are and the more, you know, the more common points you have to share with other people. I mean, that's an asset as well. Right. So how do you get past that? You know, I I guess most people would want to discuss the financial nightmares with you. Uh, and that, that makes sense. Right. And how do we, how do we recover from that? If it happens, what's the, what's the numerical, uh, uh, outlook of that. But do you ever find that, You have to, at the end of the day, reassure them that it's not free to postpone the action that they're considering.
1: Yeah, I love, that. I love that framing. And, um, you know, when you think about that action, right, as you as you mentioned, too, especially when your kids are young, and they actually like you, um, and they want to hang out with you. And you know, they don't yet have their own lives that they aren't dependent on you. You know, those can be really formidable stages in their life, if that's something that you want to do from an educational standpoint, to learn different cultures, learn different foods, new ways of life, right. And you think about what's the return on that, you can't put a number on that, right. Or even, from your perspective of having the opportunity to uh, pause in your career, um, recharge, and then maybe you might come back into the workforce and say, I don't want to do what I did before. I want to do something completely different. And, you know, having that space where you're not thinking about work, you're not having the grind. I think a lot of people can have these really creative ideas that could formally impact their wealth building journey. Right. Um, So I think, as you mentioned, too, it's not just the like the financial repercussions of it. It's what's the opportunity that you're giving up by not doing this. Right. And how does that weigh into certain things? Um, I definitely want to be able to focus on that, too.
0: And so in your firm, I'm I'm sure that people that that have these, uh, you know, that have these desires as part of their ultimate wealth plan, they, they gravitate toward your type of practice. Uh, so you've probably worked with a lot more people who have actually executed sabbaticals than most, uh, most advisors. Give us a little bit of an input when somebody gets back from the sabbatical, what's, what are one or two things that, they've told you that really stuck with you in a positive light on the sabbatical and what are maybe one or two things that they told you that where they got back and they said, you know, it was, it was really great, but if we had it to do all over again, we really wish we would have given more thought to this.
1: Yeah. Great question. So I'd say from a, obviously it's going to vary for everyone, but from positive light, um, you know, number one is just getting out of your routine, um, you know, getting away from the standard day, seeing different foods and cultures and not feeling rushed, right? I think that was the big thing of taking a sabbatical is you don't have to feel like we have one one week to two weeks in a location. We have to do absolutely everything every day um, because we only have limited vacation. We got to go back to work and the kids got to go back to school, right? So I think the ability to travel slow, um, ingrain yourself in culture, uh, you know, wake up every day and say, I'm going to choose what I'm going to do. And you can do that from home. You can do that traveling. You know, not a lot of people have experienced that in their life, right? Um, I think there's a lot of structure that gets put on us and just a society with the nine to five and kids. And some of that's absolutely needed too. But I think that's one of the big benefits of when you take away that structure, um, you're able to kind of get uh, more clear of you know, what do you really value? What are some of the things that you enjoy and, and really um, you know, enhance your soul and, and really go there? So uh, I'd say those are some of the big things um, that I've heard, heard from our clients in terms of the positives. Um, in terms of some of the negatives, uh, you know, I think it, it's going to vary, but I do find that some people, it, it's challenging with kids, right? Um, you know, some people will feel like, I just wish things were easier. We had the household help or we had some of that structure, right? I think there's a certain type of personality that this is suited for. There's a certain type of personality that's not, and that's totally fine, Right. Um, but I think that was definitely one of, it is more challenging to do when you have kids, right? The article that we talked about, it was two people in their late thirties with no kids. And, you know, that's easier to do when you have less commitments versus, you know, when both of you, you know, you have young kids coming around and, you know, they're in school and you have to care for a lot more things behind it. So I think it's challenging. It's harder, but it's not, uh, impossible.
0: Sure. And then obviously depending on when you take your sabbatical and how that impacts your income, Uh, you are going to have some uh, tax planning and financial planning opportunities that the sabbatical creates, right? Uh, Has it been your experience that as part of taking a sabbatical that your clients have some opportunities, whether it's Roth conversions or uh, doubling their charitable contributions in the prior year or whatever it happens to be, do you find that that's a part of the overall sabbatical plan?
1: Absolutely. And I think from a uh, financial planner's standpoint, we can kind of nerd out here because uh, it's pretty unique where you think, I'm going to go from a pretty high income tax rate to low or zero and then probably go back high, right? There's not many periods of uh, someone's life or that there's that scenario um, compared to something like retirement where it's more high for a long time and then you're low for a long time potentially, right? Depending on your situation. But um, I think from a financial planner standpoint, even a client standpoint is, you know, if you know that I'm going to be saving or having a lot, saving a lot and having a lot of taxes that I'm paying the year before the sabbatical, and then you go on the sabbatical and your income is zero or even uh, or just a little bit from there, too. There's so many planning opportunities, right? Like the basis of good tax planning is you defer income when your income tax rate high. You take it out when your income tax rate is low. Right. So as you mentioned, there's things like, you know, Roth conversions where you can take some pre-tax funds and convert them to after-tax funds. Um, if you have legacy holdings in a taxable account, um, you're able to sell them and pay zero capital gains up to a certain extent. Um, you might be able to take some different charitable deductions the year before. So, you know, I think that trigger is, wow, okay, I know they're going to be lower in this upcoming year. What can you do the year prior to optimize that? And then what can you also do the year of the sabbatical to make sure that you're optimizing that too?
0: Yeah, and maybe even going in and, and changing your 401k percentage allocation such that you're able to maximize earlier in the year. If you know that uh, after the first part of the year, you're going on that sabbatical or, you know, lots, lots of different things uh, at play. But I, I think the, for people who are listening to this, who maybe don't have a financial planner and, and aren't thinking about, they're just thinking about that sabbatical in kind of a two dimensional phase. I think there is a, there is a financial planning component that is probably, probably if you don't add that to your sabbatical planning, you're probably not maximizing the financial benefit of it. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You might be leaving dollars on the table. Um, You know, another cool example of someone works for, you know, a a government or a university um, or a hospital, there's there's an account called a 457B, right? Um, And some people have access to this and a 401k and a 403B. And what's unique about this is we have a client right now that's actively saving in this account to earmark for a sabbatical in about five years. Is you know they're saving into this account uh, pre-tax, so they're not paying income tax in the year they make the contributions, uh, and then they're planning to use that specific fund and take it out during the sabbatical. Because unlike a 401k or 403b, um, there's no 59 and a half requirement where you pay penalties. Right? They'll still pay income tax, but you know if you can defer at the year, let's say you have a you know 32% marginal tax bracket, and every dollar you put in, you're saving 32 cents that year. And then you take it out in the year of the sabbatical when your tax rate is 10 or 12%, you know, that delta right there is about 20%. And if you add that out each year, that can be significant. That could cause your, you know, true sabbatical costs to go down by 20,
0: 30%. Yeah, and you actually still get a W-2 even in the year you didn't work. Yep, there you go. (laughs) So I, I don't I don't know if that's you know quantitatively the right way to look at it but it's certainly from a behavioral standpoint it's uh it, it's nice getting that uh getting that monthly paycheck I guess re- regardless of whether you're uh, uh whether you're clocking in so to speak or not. Uh this is great so in, in your own uh in your own world as an entrepreneur I mean obviously when you did your your trip to Antarctica you probably didn't have the level of business and commitments and everything that you have now uh, if you had to take a sabbatical yourself now in another year or so how would you pull it off or is you know spoiler or is that something you're already planning and and you can kind of tell us how you're how you're working through that
1: yeah, I love that. Um, not not planning on it right now. I think it's definitely something in the cards later on. Um, and it's honestly something like right now, when I, when I took the sabbatical, it was me and one team, or not the sabbatical, when I took the Antarctica trip, it was me and, you know, one team member. And what's interesting about Antarctica is you're literally off the grid. You have no internet, right? So you are unplugged whether you want to be unplugged or not. Um, But, you know, I think going forward in the future where I think it's really just the, the benefit of having a financial planning firm is you can grow it as big or small as you want, right? There's a lot of flexibility you can have. Um, especially in between client meetings to make sure they're taking care of a lot of planning that goes into it. So, you know, it's definitely in our cards in terms of a a growing firm of making sure that all of our team members have that ability at a certain year, right? We probably all wouldn't go on a sabbatical in the same year, but if someone, one of our team members goes and we pick up the pieces while they're out and then they support us, I think that's a really unique way to give people the opportunity to do it without that guilt that we talked about previously uh, am I going to have a job when I come back right if you ingrain it in your culture you ingrain it in your people um, they're more likely to do it right they're more likely to value that too so um, yeah I think that's kind of a cop-out answer but you know my wife and I are hopefully starting to, a family in the near future so our focus is on that right now but it's definitely something in the cards longer term for
0: us sure and I, and I think as we become more remote as a society obviously the lines between being at work and being on sabbatical are fairly easily blurred I mean there, there's There's nothing that says you have to be all or or nothing on one or the other. It's going to be hard to do any kind of sabbatical planning if you don't have a long-term plan in place to begin with, because you have to see what is that sabbatical? How does it impact the long-term plan? It was really a great piece. Love the work that you've done. It really made me think and actually made me regret not doing some of this a little bit earlier, but it is what it is. And, uh, I really, really appreciate you, uh, coming on with us. And would you have any, uh, any final words for anybody who's considering a sabbatical or just considering any kind of non-traditional planning whatsoever?
1: Yeah, I think it's like any other major decision in your life, right? Um, If you think about, um, you know, retiring or starting a business or buying a home, um, it's not like you wake up the next morning and you say, I'm going to go do that typically, right? Like you're thinking about those in advance, you're planning for it in advance. So um, I think same thing with a sabbatical, Um, you know, life transitions equals money transitions. And ideally, you're thinking those in advance, right? You're talking through the obstacles, you're talking through the downsides. And, you know, I think a sabbatical is not for everyone, but I also think, just prompting that question of, you know, have I ever considered taking a sabbatical, especially if you are thinking about changing a job, right? And maybe it's no, right? But I think we're ingrained in our culture of nine to five, work till you're 65, you leave a job, you go start the next place and maybe two or three weeks, but then you just ask the question of, okay, pause there. Uh, and think about it. Maybe it's aligned with your values. Maybe it offers, uh, uh, presents this opportunity that could be a once in a lifetime you know, trip or even just a time to step away from it, too. So I think at the end of the day, really good financial planning means that you're living your life according to your values and your money supports that. Right. Um, and I think that's what a sabbatical represents to a lot of people. So it does require a rewiring and a different mindset, um, but you can certainly train your brain, train yourself to, to think that way, too. Um, so I think the more that we are as a society uh, encouraging to just be different um, and go against like the, the corporate structure that we've had for so many years, you know, the more creativity that's going to come, the more stories that are going to come, the more passionate employees you're going to have. I think that spreads pretty far.
0: Well, Jake, thank you very much for joining us. And we really appreciate you having you on Uh, best of luck uh, now in the future. And let us know, uh, let us know when you're going to take your next uh, awesome vacation. We want to live vicariously through you. All right. Thanks, James. And that's a wrap for this episode of a voice from the Hills podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and for access to this episode and all prior episodes, you can subscribe to a voice from the Hills on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcast. You can follow A Voice from the Hills and Silicon Hills Wealth Management on social media to gain access to all of our content. And we've also rolled out a new mini-pod called The Stream. The Stream is going to highlight timely updates and information and introduce important ideas and concepts in short but impactful three-minute micropods. You can subscribe separately to The Stream on all podcast platforms, and you can access The Stream through any Alexa-enabled device by simply asking Alexa to play the latest update from Silicon Hills Wealth. If you'd like to learn more about Silicon Hills Wealth and the services we offer, please visit our website. And as always, we cannot thank you enough for engaging with us. We can only do our best work when you are here to listen.